Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Northwest Physicians Group online at nwtpg.com, to Glass Doctor of Amarillo online at amarillo.glassdoctor.com, and to Windmill Dental, which you can find at windmill-dental.com. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com and stay tuned for our November-December issue, which is going to be in stores this week. Today's guest is Karen Roberts. Karen is the owner-operator of Get Fit, which is Amarillo's only specialty running store. And Karen is definitely a runner. Not just a 5K runner like me or a marathon runner, but an ultra-marathon runner. She's completed 50-mile and 100-mile races, and we talk about that in this podcast because she's one of the only people I know who's ever done anything like that. Amarillo has a pretty robust community of runners, and like Karen says, it's a great place to be a runner, apart from the wind. But we also talk about her transition from a career as a coach and educator into entrepreneurship and why Amarillo has played such a big part in her ability to succeed at that. So here's Karen Roberts. Karen Roberts, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Um, I know that we've got a lot of stuff that we can talk about, but I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask why you're here in Amarillo in the first place. So what brought you here? Sure, that sounds good. I got my first teaching job in Amarillo in 1986. Okay. So I'm a native New Mexican. I went to South Plains Junior College, then went back to Eastern New Mexico and got my degree and started out coaching and teaching at, back then it was Austin Middle School. Okay. And did you grow up in Eastern New Mexico, like what, Clovis area, or where, where was that? Yes, exactly. Northwest of Clovis, Okay, um, about 40 miles, grew up on a farm and ranch, and went to a small school, Melrose, All right. uh, with 18 people in my graduating class. Um, so going to college, I kind of felt like, oh, I probably should stay a little bit smaller. Uh, so that's why I chose kind of a junior college. Back then is okay. what they called them, now community colleges. Um, but that that felt a little bit better to me coming from a small school yeah. and just, you know, a background where you don't see a lot of people uh, when you live out in the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I I know you don't teach or coach now, but like back then when you were a kid, did you always think you were going to end up in education? Was that something that you sort of accidentally got into or was that a plan? You know, I just, I didn't know coming out of college. A lot of 18 year olds don't really know what they're going to do when they grow up. And um, so I, I, I didn't really know. Okay. I went to college my first semester. Yeah, maybe that's paid off. It, I majored in fashion merchandising, which well, I right. use merchandising now that's in my true. business. But, but once I got there, I w- really had that longing for, I want to coach. I want to work with kids. Um, being a competitive person like I am, I felt like that would fulfill a lot of those needs that I wanted. So I switched my major and then graduated with my education degree. Okay. And then once I got into it, just just loved it. Was your first teaching job in Amarillo? I mean, it, did was that where you came to yes. do the work? Yes. All After right. graduation, I got hired here first. Uh, went to, like I said, Austin Middle mm-hmm. School back then. Taught health. And um, some science classes. And you said you started there in 1986? In 1986. That's when I mm-hmm. went to Austin 
87, and then I was the first freshman class at Tascosa. Okay, and that's when I went up to Tascosa yeah. that so same year. We, so we went to school together, I we, guess. We didn't kind, know each other. We kind of did. <laughs> I, I assume you were a very young teacher at that age, so. Yes, 12. Okay, no, yeah, must yeah. have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, would, like, were you athletic as a kid? Did you play all the sports and do that kind of stuff? You know, we, we did play a lot of sports. Um, basketball was really my first love, not running, uh, okay. as it is now. But we rodeoed as well. My brother and I did a lot of that. So our parents allowed us to, you know, do some things like that, even though we had to work on the farm and ranch. But, mm-hmm. but they were willing to let us play the sports that we had in school. So I, I did enjoy it, but basketball was always my okay. first love. And was that the coaching that you did? Was it primarily basketball? Well, I know you get pulled in a lot of different re- yeah. directions as a middle school coach. Sure. But. Well, you had back then, you had three sports. So coached volleyball, basketball, and track. Then when I moved up to Tascosa, I was uh, basketball and track. Okay. So I didn't really coach volleyball. But then I had always hoped to work with the legendary Joe Lombard in Canyon. Yeah. So I kept pestering him, and finally I got hired there as assistant basketball. And with that, I had to do. Uh, I was also I also coached head volley head volleyball coach and coached some track. So um, really, kind of did all three sports when I started at Canyon, and then we trimmed that back to two, and I uh, just had volleyball basketball. Okay. So, but what, I've I've enjoyed coaching all of those sports throughout the years. What did you teach when you were coaching? So health, taught some science. We had a class in Canyon called Natural Helpers, which I think it was kind of a peer relationship type class. Mm -hmm. Um, But they used to require those kiddos to take health. I don't think they do that anymore. But I always loved that, too. I I was going to say, a lot of coaches teach because they kind of have to teach. Uh, I always wonder, like, Mm -hmm. do you love the teaching side as much as you love the coaching side? You know, I enjoyed that subject. Had it been something else, I didn't, I mean, science was okay, but I just, you know, not really my background, but more the health, you know, you think about, we taught drug education, Mm -hmm. you know, talking to kids about, you know, all the crazy things that go on with that. But then also just teaching teaching about diseases and the body and, you know, we taught uh, CPR. Those were always fun things to me because I felt like we were enabling, or I guess, educating those kiddos on their body and how to take care of their body. And as I have gotten older, I just feel like, again, that's so important for people to take care of their body, watch what they eat, um, exercise. So I just, I feel like all of that kind of helped me on my path to opening up my business that I have currently. So before we get to that part, the, the last thing I wanted to ask about your teaching career is you taught in Amarillo ISD and then you taught in Canyon. Was, was there a difference at all between, School districts, between the kids, between the kind of work you were doing, or did it just feel like all kind of the same thing? You know, I think pretty much the same. Uh, after I left Canyon, I was actually a counselor and an, an administrator in Hereford. Okay. And then same thing in Plano ISD. I started as a, as a counselor there and then moved into administration as well. I feel like kids are very similar. Uh, they want to be loved, mm-hmm. but they want to learn. I think most kids genuinely want to learn. And I feel like if you establish that relationship and you you are there for them and you're an advocate for them, I feel like they'll they'll give you everything they've got. Okay, so you said you weren't much of a runner when you were growing up, although you did end up coaching track. When did you get into running on your own? So in 19, no, it would have been 2000. 
and one. I was working in Plano okay. um, as a counselor, and my brother was involved in a farming accident. Um, he ended up passing away. Okay. I had gotten out of coaching, and I think losing that kind of competitive, again, that competitive spirit, I think that I I have. I didn't have that, and then I had a major loss in my family, and I, I just needed something. Mm-hmm. I needed something to kind of pull me out of that probably depression that I was in and started talking to people about, well, where did you get your shoes? And they talked to me about a running store and go there and get fitted for shoes, and they put on races. Um, so I got to know a lot of great people in the Dallas area. Uh, the stores are have been sold since then, but they were called Run On back okay. then. I went there. I got shoes. I my schedule. I was very lucky. I worked from seven thirty to two thirty. So at two thirty in the afternoon, I would take my you know my clothes that I would change into after work, and I made myself go to a park right there. I didn't want to go home first, and I started doing my own thing of walk run, okay. and until I could run thirty minutes straight. And I thought, once I do that, I'm going to enter a 5K race. Okay. And I did. And I guess I haven't looked back how, since then. How long did it take you to ramp up to that 30 minutes straight? Oh, gosh. Because I mean, um, I'm trying to think. You, you, yeah. I, I didn't know you back then, but I assumed that as a coach, you were probably fairly athletic still. Um, but like going from that, I'm not a runner, to, okay, I can run for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's intimidating to a lot of people. Was, did you have a, a threshold of fitness that allowed you to do that faster maybe than some people, or was it just as hard for you as you anybody else? You know, I think, Jason, I've started out like anybody else. I mean, I think anybody that comes from, yes, you're kind of fit. You know, you might walk a little bit. You might go to the gym a couple of days a week mm-hmm. and do a little, I mean, nothing serious, a few little weights. So, I mean, I felt like I was in pretty decent shape, but yet it's the getting, you know, your everything, bones, muscles, ligaments, tendon, lungs, heart, right. getting all those kind of pieces to line up does take a little while. Now, I don't know a timeline necessarily, but I think going slowly, which is what I did, that's mm-hmm. what I always recommend to people, do a run-walk program and you know, run for two minutes. How does that feel? Do that for a week, and then what does it feel like to ramp it up to three or ramp it up to five, and then with maybe half of that time in as a walking break? So I feel like Anybody can do it. I feel like it, you just you have to commit to it. Yeah. But it, our bodies are so amazing that they can adjust and and they will get better as we as we keep them moving and working. Do you remember that first five k? I do. How you felt? How it went? Um, it was big. Mm-hmm. So it was the dash down Greenville okay. on around St. Patty's Day, and it's a huge race. And my shoe came untied. All right. <laughs> So I learned just like everybody else. You know, you got to double knot your shoes. Right. Exciting, but didn't have a lot of expectations. Just wanted to finish. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I couldn't, I don't know what the time was. But it, it it felt good to just do something like that, to get out and be with like-minded people and just out there having fun and enjoying a beautiful day. How long did it take before you began to realize, okay, I'm I'm good at this. This is something that, like, if you haven't done it uh, and then you start doing it, there are a lot of people that they become runners, they do 5Ks, but they always kind of struggle. Like, Mm -hmm. it never feels natural. And Mm -hmm. then I've known other runners who start it, and they're like, holy cow, I'm a good runner Mm -hmm. because of their VO, you know, max or something like that. 
did it take you long to figure out, okay, this is something I kind of have some some gifts in? You know, I I think, I, I don't know a timeline necessarily, but I would think kind of in that first year mm-hmm. when I started, I felt like th- this is something I enjoy. And if I enjoy it and I put the work in, I feel like I can get better. And I do think those were goals of mine. But I think realizing when I did my first marathon in 2003, so that was, you know, I'd been Couple running. A couple years later. Yeah, yeah, I'd been running and... And I really, I didn't progress. I wouldn't say I went. I did a 5K, and then I did a 10K, and then I did a half. I think I went straight from a 5K to a half. But just, I, I think that's the competitive side mm-hmm. of me. But I think when I ran that first marathon, I felt like I had the training because I was working with a training group, and I had set the goal for four hours, and it was four hours and just a few seconds. Yeah. So at that point, I think I, I was like, I, I like this. I enjoy this. I want to keep doing it. I want to get better. And after two, maybe two marathons or three, I thought, I want to try to qualify for Boston. What does that look like? Because when you're in a group of like-minded runners, people start talking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is a BQ? What is that? What does that mean? So, And so I, people who don't know, in order to run a major race like Boston, you have to qualify by getting a certain time connected to your age, Correct. right? And so Correct. a lot of runners are really good runners, let's say in Amarillo events, and they may have never qualified for Boston. They can't get into it. Right. And age is on your side mm-hmm. if you want to qualify Yeah, for that, Boston. that qualifying time goes up as your <laughs> it, it years sure, go up. It sure does. So, um, yes, it you know, you have to go to a, a sanctioned race that, you know, their course is certified. Uh, and then you have to run under that time. And the standards for qualifying for Boston have just gotten so much harder. Mm-hmm. They've they've added time. And, you know, if let's say you needed a four-hour marathon, you might need to run a 350 because so many people qualify and they only take so many. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a chess game a little bit, I think, uh, when you're thinking about qualifying for Boston. But and some runners choose marathons that are – Boston qualifiers sure. based on where it is and how fast they think sure. they can do in it, how much wind, right. or is it uphill, right. downhill, all that is kind of stuff. Is it flat? Right. Yeah. How's the weather? You know, Chicago, which was last weekend, I think they had great weather. Chicago's pretty flat. I'm sure a lot of people qualified yeah. during that race, but you're correct. Tell me some of the places you've run marathons. So I think I have 14 states. Okay. Um, St. George, Utah. Let's see, Mesa, Arizona. Boston a few times. Um Dallas, mm-hmm. Austin, okay. in Austin, uh, Florida, Chicago or New York, Chicago, New York. Yes. Anything I've, I've overseas? Not yet. Okay. I would like to get those three. There's a mm-hmm. marathon majors where you do the three in the United States, Boston, New York, Chicago, and then you do Berlin, Tokyo, and London. Yeah. Haven't done any of those, but it's kind of on a bucket list. Yeah. I, uh, I, randomly showed up in Berlin on a trip there several years back and it was the last day of that marathon. I wasn't even on my schedule. And then I started seeing the place that I was like, Oh, this would be a great place to run, you know, and something like that. Cause it was such an interesting place. You're running by you right. know, the, the old Berlin wall and places like that. So, and it kind of coordinates with Oktoberfest over there. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little bit of a party atmosphere yeah, maybe after. And then I know that you haven't stopped at 26.2 miles that you've done much longer races. Tell me about, getting into the ultra marathon scene? You know, I think it was a progression that when I first heard about ultra marathons, I'm like, why would anybody want to go one step farther mm-hmm. than 26.2? It's hard enough, That's right? enough, right? Yeah. 
But I had some friends who had run a 50K, and I'm like, what is that? So you think, okay, 50K, 32-ish miles, and then you think 100K, 60 miles. And the first time I did it, I signed up for a 50K at Rocky Raccoon down in Huntsville, and I go down there, and I had some friends from Dallas, and they met me. <laughs> and I got finished, and I called one of my friends here in town. I said, if I ever do that again, shoot me. That was hard. I don't want to do that again. And once you start feeling better and your body starts recuperating, I don't know, my mind anyway, I start thinking, I wonder if I could do a 100K. And then, okay, I did a 100K. I wonder if I could do 50 miles. And then I did 50 miles. I will, and then really I had no, I was not thinking about a hundred and I had a buddy call me one day I was sitting at work and he said, um, I want you to sign up for the hundred at Rocky raccoon. Okay. And I said, no way. I'm Gates. I am not going to do that. He goes, yes, we'll be there to crew you. His wife, mm -hmm. he and his wife will be there to crew you. We'll have food. We're going to take care of you. I'm like, no way. Well, I did it. And, um, I don't, I think it's. Jason, I think it's the challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, maybe I'm still chasing, I don't know, demons from when I was a kid. I don't know. I just think a lot of people, it's, it's a challenge. It's a, can I do it? Mm -hmm. How can I push myself? Um, and once I started 100s, I just, I kept doing those and I've done nine to date. I've done Leadville in Colorado. I've done... Which is um, a pretty legendary one because it's at altitude and there's a lot of climbing and that, descending, right? That one's tough. Yeah. That one's really tough. Most of the other ones have been in Texas. I have done one in Florida and one in Illinois. Um, Illinois is where I set my PR, which was 22 hours, 37 minutes. And one of the hardest... Leadville was very difficult, but another hard one was um, Bandera, it was called Cactus Rose, and it's down by San Antonio, and it's unsupported. So you're out oh, so there. So you don't have a crew to you, help you with nutrition? No, or? and they don't have aid stations set up. Wow. You are responsible for putting your gear together, taking it out to the aid stations, wherever they're located, and putting your gear there. They do offer ice and water at the aid stations, mm -hmm. but they're, you know, there's nobody there ringing a cowbell telling you you can do this. And it was 98 degrees both days, wow. and it took me 33 hours. Um, it's the one that I was dangerously close to not finishing. When I got to 50, I was just shot. And I wanted to give my my timing chip to um, one of the ladies that was working, and she said, no, I'm not going to let you. You need to get <laughs> something to eat. You need to call your family. And you're not going to quit. You look good. Now, she might have been lying to me, Jason. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming she was. But she said, you look... Well, you know you didn't look good at that <laughs> yeah. point, right? She said, you look better than half these people. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But once I got some... Boy, I tell you, chicken noodle soup and mashed potatoes mm -hmm. are miracle food when you're, you've been into a race, yeah, 15 hours, and it's mid, you know, it's dark, and you're just second-guessing yourself, I think. Um, but once I ate a little bit, I talked to my family, I cried a little bit, and I decided I was going to get back out there. And once I took that first step after 50, I thought, I'm, it's, it won't get me. I will finish. Hmm. And it, it was tough, because, and it was because of the heat. It was just the yeah. heat, I think, the heat factor, just grabbing ice, putting it in your cap, you know, putting it in your sports bra, wherever you can put ice or cold rags on you, just to get through that heat was very challenging. I 
I'm thinking of my listeners who, you know, maybe they've run and maybe they run 5Ks or 10Ks and still just don't understand ultra running. Um, a lot of marathoners don't understand it. And I'm not going to ask you to explain it because I think I've talked to ultra runners. They don't always understand why they love it or why it's addictive or why they keep doing it. But I do want to ask you, like, what have you learned about yourself in doing these kinds of races and challenging yourself this way? Because I, I think that there is something, um, there, there's a reason that it keeps pulling people back into it. Even though you might hate it in the moment, mm -hmm. then you start feeling better and you're like, oh, I think I can, can do that again. So like, like, what does it teach you? You know, I think just the, the fact that if you put in the physical work and you have the mental, you can do anything. Hmm. And I, I, I think I've tried to instill that in my children, my own children. Um, I think maybe growing up on a farm and ranch, having to, um, you know, be out there and work from sunup to sundown kind of gave me, I'm not saying an advantage, but maybe just for me personally, maybe that was an advantage. And I think something like that, running an ultra marathon, helps you deal with loss. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit better. Oh, it's emotional. Yes. For almost everybody, yes. right? Yes. Um, I think deal with loss. I think deal with hard times. Deal with challenges. You know, you come back and you're like, yes, that was hard. But running a business is also hard. Mm -hmm. Raising children is also hard. If you can get through that, how can you get through these bumps in the road sometimes that, that we you know, hit us out of the blue. You know, you get a friend that's diagnosed with cancer or uh, like I, you know, lost my brother, which I think actually helped me to get my mind in the right place to do mm. those ultra marathons. Because you're right, it it is a mental game. And, and this too shall pass. One of my coaches taught me that. And you're going to feel like crap out there. Mm -hmm. But you're going to feel good. <laughs> but both of those are going to... Um, go in and out if you're out there for, and for me, I'm, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not fast. I mean, 20, 23 hours, 22 hours, that's a long time to be on your feet. Oh, for sure. People ask me, do you sleep? No. Do you eat? Yes. Your, your nutrition and your hydration is so important when you're doing an event like that to just make sure that you're you know, your glucose level, it, just everything. And I think sometimes the stars have to align. I mean, there are mm -hmm. people who you know, have to drop out for various reasons. So I feel very blessed um, to be able to do that. I think I've had to, you know, reach down and pray a lot mm -hmm. of times too, to just say, you know, you, you can do this. It's putting one foot in front of the other and you're physically trained. So you've got to bring along the mental. Yeah. That, that's what's so interesting to me about it is that your physical training to do an event like that, you're only going to go so far. You're not Right. ramping up with 70 mile no. and 80 mile and 90 mile runs to prepare. No. No. And so you reach that physical threshold. And after that point, it's all mental. Can I make myself do this? And mm -hmm. like nutrition, right? Am I going to eat the right foods and get right. enough energy? And right. I think a lot of people probably don't understand that part of it. Right. And I have worked with, I, I worked with coaches when I did marathon training, I have coached a few people, but when I got into the ultras, I thought I need somebody who's smarter than me, who's done this, this, they have the experience. And that was one of the things my first coach, Jeff Horowitz, taught me is drink about every 10 minutes, it, just a sip, mm -hmm. and eat about 30 minutes, maybe 100 calories every 30 minutes. 
And I I feel very blessed, Jason, because I've made it through those races without really, you know, getting too dehydrated mm-hmm. or not getting enough food. Now in Leadville, the last 13 miles was really tough because I'm going to say this, my gag reflex did not want to let food go down. Wow. And you can't even eat food at that point, but even getting a gel, and if people don't know what that is, it's just a product that is in a form that, you know, you squeeze in your mouth and you just swallow and it gives you calories and sugar. And I couldn't even hardly get that down. I had to squeeze that in my mouth, take a sip of water and mix it so much where it was diluted to try to get it down. So I've been blessed in that I've been able to control that thus far in races. Um, But I've seen people get sick, throw up, then they start eating again, drinking again, and they can rebound and finish Mm. those races. So, So again, that mental preparation and that mental, I guess, tenacity, fortitude to get through that. I've seen people get through it that I thought, oh, gosh, they're going to be out and they bounce back. So our bodies can do more than we think it can. Totally. That is such a true statement right there. I think a lot of times we sell ourselves short. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. And and a lot of that is it is physical, but it's that mental yeah. as well. You know, you you can do it. So let's talk about the business. Um tell me how uh, you found your way into being an entrepreneur after a career in education. How did you what eventually brought you back to Amarillo? Let's sure. start there. So uh, we had children when we were in the Dallas area. Um, we had triplets. Um, my uh, partner had the kiddos. I was a counselor. Um, she was a pharmacist. She made more money than I did. It made, mm-hmm. more, made more sense for me to stay home because daycare would have, there goes your paycheck. And back then, we were lucky enough, either put them in daycare and there goes all that money or you stay home. Yeah, well, multiply it times three. So totally. Nice. So I stayed home. Did not know what I would do when we got to the point where, okay, kids are growing up. And I didn't think I wanted to go back into education. I thought that part of my life, I just just didn't want to do that. So having an association with the owners of the running stores in Dallas and several of the coaches, I had become really good friends with a lot of the people who coached there, who worked at the various stores. And I just, I it was on a run, on a track one day, and I just kept thinking, if we go back to Amarillo, I want to open a running store. Hmm. I don't know if it'll be successful, but I I just feel like they need it. I feel like Amarillo needed something like that. We didn't have anything like that, right? No, I think when I was a kid, there was something. There 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 was at one point, but I couldn't tell you even the year, Jason. I think I came over had an aunt who lived here maybe in the late 70s, yeah. but I'm I'm not exactly I, I sure. I don't remember it if we did. So yeah. It would have been pretty early. So I just felt like, gosh, these these people do a great job. They can they can change people's lives by getting them into a great pair of shoes, getting them into a program, whether it's run, walk, whatever. So I just felt like, wow, that that's that's something I want to do. So I, I met a guy at, at our trade show that we go to as running store owners. It's called The Running Event. And somebody made me aware of that. I went to that. I met a lot of people, and I met a consultant uh, whom I work with now. He's from Seattle, but we've worked together since before my store was open. That was in 2008 when I met him. So, you know, the main thing was is um, think about a business plan. Think about where you want to start. I think connections, contacts, talking to people in the Dallas area. What shoes do I bring in? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you even start? And our plan was 
when we were meeting with the consultant, I think whatever our plan was for the amount of money we were going to spend on inventory, he said, Karen, cut that in half. And then we'll go from there. He said, you're going to hate me. Your walls are going to be bare. You're going to walk in the back room and you're going to have three shoes to pick from. But you know what? He, He was right, but it worked. And I think that's in my opinion, that's how you start out going from being an educator, moving into the business world, not having any experience in that, but loving the idea of helping people right. become healthier, more fit, um, be active. So that, I think, is where, and and being blessed by God and our community um, is really kind of how we got started. We started in 2009 and very... 15, uh, 1500 square foot store. Mm-hmm. And, but people came, people believed in us. I know that, I guess you, you found that Amarillo was a running community, um, because you, it, it would need to be at least to some degree to open a store like that and to know that there's going to be a customer base. How have you seen it change since 2009? Like are more people running? Is it becoming more a part of the culture? Have you seen growth? I think there is growth in in the running community, and I I go to several of the runs that are put on throughout the week. There's Run 806. They put on weekly runs. Pub runners put on weekly runs. Our runs that we put on, the organized runs that we mm-hmm. put on at the store, I've seen those kind of ebb and flow, but they do seem to be continuing to grow. I think we've gotten you know a lot of Amarillo is growing and with mm-hmm. that growth within the city you're going to get people moving in who maybe they have already been a runner or you're getting people that you know we see people at some of these weekly runs that um oh I just started but I'm loving it mm-hmm. and I love the camaraderie and the community so I I do think that has grown I think another reason our business has grown is it's just I need a I need a comfortable pair of shoes. You know, my feet hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm on my feet all day. I work in a business where I'm standing all day or I'm walking and I need a good pair of shoes or a good pair of inserts. And I think that has helped too. I think people are realizing all ages, you've got to have a good pair of shoes, if, and especially if you're going to be active. Tell me about the service that you provide, you know, helping people choose shoes and fit shoes, because there are a lot of running stores online. And you could buy something from Zappos or whatever. Um, why do people come in and and want to sort of consult with you to figure out why is my foot hurting? What kind of gait do I have? I mean, tell mm-hmm. me about that process. So, you know, we believe in gathering as much information as we can from that individual, asking questions. What are you going to use the shoes for? Um, how often? You know, how many times a week are you going to use them? And then we like to do a, a gait analysis. And we can do that a couple of different ways. We have some foot scanners where we can have them stand on that barefoot. It shows pressure points. Mm-hmm. It shows like the depth of their foot, the width, the length. That helps us to size that person. We still use the old Brannock devices. Right. That the little a, slidey as a, things. As a kid, that, yeah. I was <laughs> measured. <laughs> um, but, but that gives us the information that we need. And then asking them what they're doing makes a lot of difference too. Um, maybe it's, you know, somebody that needs a wider base shoe because of maybe they've got some instability. I mean, as far as just walking, right. Um, maybe it's a runner who wants to qualify for Boston and maybe they need a lighter shoe. Maybe. So we're going to, we're going to do that a gait evaluation. We're going to watch them walk and run barefoot in our store. We want to see what's going on up and down their body. You know, what are their shoulders doing? What are their hips doing? Do they have some 
you know, some areas that are not lining up correctly. And what are their needs doing? And then we're going to bring out different brands. Again, we're going to measure them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come into the store and they say, I'm an eight and a half. Well, that may be what their foot measures. Right. But we typically want to put them in a bigger shoe because your foot moves up and back and side to side and it swells throughout right. the day. Yeah. So we want to make sure we get them in the correct size first. And then we're going to try different brands, let them walk, let them run, whatever they're kind of doing in that shoe to see which one they think feels better. Um, so lots of different shoes on the market out there today, some with more cushion, some with less cushion, and there are all sorts of thoughts on that. But with what we teach our staff is, you know, you've got an idea of what you think is going to help them, but they, the customer has to have input in that on how it feels, how they you know, how they like it. It does it rub. Is it too big? Is it too small? So things like that. I think a, a lot of listeners, especially who are runners are going to want to know what kind of shoe you wear. What, <laughs> what's your favorite brand? And, or and what? you know, people ask me that all the time, Jason, I wear all my brands. I will, I will be honest with you. I wear all of my brands because right you now. want to try them out. Because test I, them out? yes, I want to make sure that what we're selling is a good product. Um, I have, I do think injuries changes that sometimes. Um, so I have, I kind of vacillate. I will have a lower drop shoe with a wider toe box Mm -hmm. to help, you know, let those toes splay a little bit and let those feet work that way. But I also run in fairly cushioned shoes as well. So I I run in Ultra, uh, which is the lower drop, uh, wider toe base or toe box. And uh, Nimbus right now, Asics Nimbus has come around with another, I I think it's a great shoe right now. And I've been wearing that quite a bit okay. too. Now I like a more cushioned shoe in the store, not always when I'm running, but sometimes it depends on the distance too. That's why it's so important for my staff and my team to ask our customers, what are you using them for? How far are you yeah. going? How long are you going? You know, even what time of day are you running? Because if they're always running in the evening and they've been on their feet all day, that, that size will definitely affect them. Um, making sure that we get them a great technical sock to reduce friction and reduce blisters. I think that's a big key too that a lot of people may not know when they first come in or when they're just starting because that's a, you know, that's a killer. You get a quarter size blister on the bottom of your foot and then you can't run for three weeks and then, you know, you get depressed. And so trying to educate our customer on, you know, get the information from them and educate them on what we think would be best for them, but they've got to go try it too. As as part of your business, you're not just selling shoes, but you're also a race director, and you plan and execute races. I think all the time, like all throughout the year <laughs> at this point, right? And and I wonder if was that part of the business plan when you started, or did you kind of realize, oh, this is probably something I should be doing. I should help foster the running community while also trying to put them in shoes. It was really more of a way to give back. Okay. So the people that I've worked with in Dallas. They had an organization or various organizations that they would donate their race proceeds to. And from the get-go, I said, we're not going to keep money from a race. Hmm. It's not going to go into Get Fit's bank account. Well, it might, but we're going to write a check. Right. We're going to find an organization that we feel like is local. It's in the panhandle we get, where we can help people who need it. And that was the goal from the get-go. I wanted to do races. I wanted to put on races. I thought we could... The Runners Club does a great job of putting on races, but I thought we could too. And so we started with some 5K, 10Ks. We've done a half, and we do some stuff down in the trails, which 
at, down in Palo Canyon, mm-hmm. 25K, 50K, 50 miles. So I feel like we offer people a lot of different things. Now, the race that we don't necessarily distribute right to an organization is that trail run, but that was kind of passed on to me. Right. That was a pre-existing it's, event, right? Yeah, it's not one that I started, yeah. but we do give back. We give back to partners in the canyon. We've back, you know, and when the Boston bombing happened, we gave to Boston mm-hmm. Strong. So we do, that race also uh, is likes to give back. But the ones that we put on at Get Fit, we definitely choose an organization and give back. Do you have a favorite of any of those? I do. Um, will you name what it is? Or I will. <laughs> no, I will. The Bridge Children's Advocacy mm-hmm. Center. So Jason, when I was a counselor in Hereford, I saw and heard things that I guess maybe I wasn't aware of. When you ask me about kids being different in different communities, um, we just we had some kiddos there that it, they struggled. I mm-hmm. mean, um, lower socioeconomic. And I heard about the bridge, and so the bridge advocates for kiddos who maybe just they just they don't have any resources. They've they've made a, a, an outcry because of usually it's going to be sexual abuse against them, but it could they could have been a witness of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bridge goes in, does an interview. It's it's a process where they do one interview, and that interview can be used in der- several different um, areas. Right. Um, so the kid's not having to so do So the it. kid's not telling the story. Yeah. And that's what happened years and years and years ago is somebody finally figured out, hey, this, this kid is going through reliving this yeah, over yeah. and over, and it's got to stop. So the bridge... Um, the Children's Advocacy Center has just, you know, been around since the 80s, does a great job of helping not only those children kind of work through that process, but they offer services as far as counseling. Maybe it's, um, you know, maybe they had to leave their home and they have no clothes, no bedding, n- nowhere to live. So they there are lots of different resources that they're able to provide for those children and those families. So, um, you know, establishing a path to healing and justice yeah. for those kiddos is really what they're doing. And after working with kiddos that I, I saw had issues and families who had issues, I just said, we're going we're gonna to donate to the bridge. And we've done that for 14 years and probably, I don't know, maybe over $200,000. But that comes straight from, you know, the, the people of Amarillo and mm-hmm. our communities who sign up for those races. Yeah. And then that money goes back to a great organization. Which of those specific races... So our that. our um, cold as ice, which okay. is in January, our hot blooded, which is in July, and then the mayor's half, which okay. is in September. The net proceeds from all three of those races go to the bridge, okay. and sometimes we do other activities too. But we have other organizations that we give to. Uh, there are lots of good organizations in town, and I know a lot of those need uh, financial assistance. So we we try to do a few things other places when we can. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you is to describe the benefit of running in Amarillo and in this area. Because there, I know that runners have favorite places they like to run. Some people choose to live in a certain place because they are runners or they're training, you know, mm-hmm. Colorado, running at uh, higher elevations, things like that. Um, I've also talked to people who say, oh, you've got it easy. You live at 3,500 you know, feet in elevation in Amarillo. We're coming from sea level. And so... That there's a difference in how it feels. And I wonder if you could talk about this area in terms of being a runner and maybe what you love about Amarillo and, and the Panhandle. You know, what I love is if you're up early and you see the the uh, sunrise, mm-hmm. 
I mean, to me, that just gives me, wow, hope for a new day, hope for, I, I just, I, it just kind of gets me going, gets my blood pumping when, when I'm up early and I get out early and uh, I'm not doing this right now, but when I'm training for a marathon and you think, gosh, I just ran 15 miles and most people aren't even out of bed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the sunrises and the sunsets in Amarillo, I think that's part of the beauty of living here. I do think we have a great Paladero Canyon for people to run in. However, I know a lot of people aren't trail runners. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to have a love for it, Jason. We don't have a lot of beautiful places in Amarillo to run. We don't have water. You know, it's not always of, pedestrian friendly. No, agreed. Agreed. Um, so, you know, if that's one hope for me would be that as Amarillo continues to grow, we create places for people to walk, run, ride a bike within the city mm-hmm. so that people could even, you know, go back and forth to work uh, via their bike. But I think Amarillo offers, um, you know, fairly, I, th- I think our temperature is is pretty good for runners. I mean, I think you can run during the winter, even with snow, because we get, what, two inches and then it's gone. Yeah. Um, the detriment is the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, that north wind this morning, <laughs> it just kept getting stronger and stronger as I headed back home. Um, but I think people have to... They just have to have a love for it. And I think we do have a good community of people who care about other people, want to put on races. They want to create kind of an event, just a fun camaraderie you know, event where people can get together. They can have dinner afterwards. You know, they can have an, an adult beverage or something. Um, but I think the community is what makes it great. So this is an ad for attorney Dean Boyd, but it's also a personal endorsement. My son, Owen, was in a pretty bad wreck at Texas A&M right after we dropped him off for his sophomore year of college. The wreck wasn't his fault, but he got broadsided by another driver and it rolled Owen's car and he had to climb out the sunroof. Now, he walked away from it and we're so grateful for that. But his car was totaled and it left Owen with a shoulder injury. So one of our first calls was to Dean Boyd's office. Dean had been a guest on this podcast back in 2019. It's a really good episode. I, I knew his story, but it wasn't until Owen became his client that I really understood what Dean does and how meaningful that is. So working with his office was amazing. They treated Owen really well. They answered our questions. They made the process seamless. And they were able to, to negotiate a settlement that covered Owen's medical bills and satisfied all of us. And so for us as parents... Dean's office was a lifeline during a really stressful period. I can't say enough good things about the law office of attorney Dean Boyd. So if you've been hurt in a wreck, call him at 806-242-3333 or visit deanboyd.com. I want to say thanks to Dean Boyd. I'm grateful for his support of the podcast. Okay, I'm back with Karen Roberts. Karen, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas. And every part of the museum, from its exhibits and artifacts to its expert curators, are pushing toward a single goal, which is to introduce people to the stories and history of this region. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, you've talked a little bit about the future, but when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I think just more streets, more access to... Um, walking, running, biking, just make it a little more pedestrian friendly. I, I think um, having that for people to know, hey, you don't have to join a gym. You can go right out your door and you can get some activity and exercise. Because I think if we don't start 
educating more people on their bodies and how mm-hmm. to you know stay fit, get fit. We're, we're going to see, and we see a lot of it now, a lot of illnesses, but but that's only going to grow if we yeah. don't try to get people out the door and outside. It has to be planned when you're thinking from an infrastructure side. Like it's hard to retrofit existing streets with a bike lane. And I mean, we've, we've tried it and we've done it some, but like if you're planning for that stuff as you build the streets, then it makes it a whole lot easier. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm, I'm like you. I don't know how we go back. But, yeah. But looking forward, if we had that, I think that would help people. Okay. Other than wind, and I'll take that off the table because you're to- a runner and I know totally. you got it. <laughs> Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? You know, I was going to say wind. Um, restaurants, maybe? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we probably have more restaurants per capita than anybody in the U.S. And I don't know, maybe too many unhealthy restaurants? Okay. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Yeah. What does this area not have enough of? I think places for people to get out and be active. Mm-hmm. I just Maybe if it's parks, maybe it's... Um, more biking, hiking lanes. And I know, well, from what I'm hearing is we're going to get those when they get Sauncy, the loop rebuilt. We're supposed to have biking, hiking lanes on both sides of that whole area out Mm -hmm. there. I live out there and I see that every day and they've kind of torn out my Wildcat Bluff Trail. So I'm excited for that to come back. And I think from Gander Mountain all the way to uh, Bell, um, on Amarillo Boulevard, they're going to have that. I think that's wonderful. I just think having places where people can get out with families too, whether that's, you know, just, I, we have a lot of great parks, don't get me wrong, but but maybe just more places like that and activities for people to get out and mm-hmm. be active. There's a lot to be said for a a segregated biking lane where you can ride a bike and not have to worry about traffic. Agreed. Because that's, we have very little of that other than uh, rails to trails, I guess, you know, within the city limits, you're just, you're sharing the road and right. sometimes that's scary. It is. It It is. Agreed. Okay. We've talked a lot about nonprofits. What's one local nonprofit you appreciate? Again, I think the Bridge um, Children's Advocacy Center, and we also work with the Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation. Mm-hmm. Love those people over there as well. Um, we recently just had a fashion show and our models were cancer survivors. Okay. And they just were so appreciative of us focusing on them and letting them know that we care about them. So I think that's a great local organization as well. Okay. What's your favorite local running route? I've not asked that question of anybody else. So this is a new one for you. When you go out and run or when you're training, where do you like to run? Mm-hmm. Well, they just tore it. They just, <laughs> out at Wildcat they just Bluff. Tore it up. That was That my, trail alongside uh, yeah, Sansi out Right. There. You know, I could go out there, run as many miles as I wanted because – you know, you could leave Wildcat Bluff, you go south, then mm-hmm. you go to Ninth, and then you can go down to, to uh, Amarillo Boulevard, you can go out to Indian Hills. And, you you know, you could do that several times if you had a long run that you needed to do. I don't mind doing out and backs. I know a lot of people either like a loop or mm-hmm. something like that, but I just, I loved that. Um, other than that, Paladero Canyon. Okay. I just, I can't get enough of that beautiful scenery down there. Do you have a favorite trail to run out there? Not really. You know, I just, I don't know. I, I just like them all. I just love it. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Okay. So. Of the ones that you like, the, mm-hmm. since yeah. we have too many. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, um, I agree. And and these aren't always the most healthy. I will be transparent about that up front. I love a good burger. Angela uh, at Golden Light. Okay. Just love the folks over there. Um, love what they're doing. And then I would have to say uh, Brian Kelleher and 575 Pizza. Right. 
Those are probably my two go-to if I'm going to eat out. I don't do it a lot, but if I do, those will be my local folks that I go okay. shop with. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I'm going with the sunsets and sunrises. It just it doesn't get any better than that. I'll get up in the morning or maybe even, even in the evening, and I send my daughter pictures, and she's in Oklahoma. She goes to OU, and she's like, can't beat those Amarillo sunsets, mm-hmm. Mom. She said, I don't get those here. Yeah. So I, I love that expansiveness of just of this area. But growing up like that in the country, I've just always, I've just loved to look as far as you can, both east and west, and just take it all in. Okay. Uh, last question. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? So I was down there, gosh, a week ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Well, you've, you've been working on uh, some race planning. Right. And that it's always vital to get down there yeah. and check things out. Um, but we used to go every weekend. Really? I mean, we, I was with a group and we, we did all of our train, all of our long runs when we were training for marathons down okay. there. And when I'm doing a lot of times when I'm d- training for an ultra, I'll go down there because there's just, you know, so many trails and you can get so many miles in and you can go back by your car and get nutrition, hydration mm-hmm. if you need to. Well, and you but, need to be on uneven ground too. Like you can't run in a street to really prepare your legs for the wear and tear of a trail run. Sure. So that's kind of one of the few options. Sure. You- and I've had people run uh, that race that we put on in the canyon and maybe they don't do a lot of training mm-hmm. down there. And that's what they talk about. Oh, gosh, my ankles are sore. This is sore. Because it really helps your core. Because, Like you say, the yeah. uneven terrain, it, it really is beneficial if you're training for one of those races. Okay, so that's the conclusion of my eight straight questions. I like to end the show by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Get fit. Come by Get Fit. Try out our brand, our Get Fit brand. We've got some great apparel uh, right now, and it's a Get Fit brand. So okay, so it's actually your branded apparel. Then it's, we brand it. It's um, it's made by Sky Manufacturing. Okay, but it is Get Fit brand. So I like for people to know there are options out there. So yeah. And instead of sending their money to some website, exactly, um, come put local. it back in the local economy. Well, because yes, when they're shopping local, many of those dollars stay here, and I, I think that's very important to our community. I'm very much an advocate for shopping local. Right. And I have a lot of a lot of local places that I love to shop. Okay, Karen Roberts, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. And that concludes the episode. Thanks again to Karen for the interview. You can learn more about her business at mygetfitplace.com. Thanks also to Attorney Dean Boyd and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the podcast and to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey, Amarillo exists because of listeners like you, because I know somebody's out there wanting to listen to it. I just am so grateful for that. And I also appreciate the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Wes Reeves, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Barbara and Jim Witten, and Cindy Graham. This has been episode 325. My name is Jason Boyette. And I'll see you next week.